When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield, and the latest Super Bowl halftime show has sparked many opinions. Great show. Seemed like an opportunity for several broader conversations. The first hip-hop-dominated halftime show. This does open the door, so who can walk through this door that was open? Drake would be an obvious choice. It's like kind of insane that he hasn't done even a Super Bowl appearance. He's someone who would be able to be in that space so easily because he does straddle that line between being a great rapper, but also such a pop performer. Like he can do sort of the the Gaga-esque, like he would fly down. He would put on like a really, really good show. And it would be like, it would probably have like the young, it would be like probably like Nicki and Lil Wayne and all that stuff. That would be like such a good show. Ironically, the person who could put on an absolutely fantastic Super Bowl performance will never be allowed to do so, and that's Kanye West. Yeah, he's he's digging the hole for himself. It would have ruled like a few years ago. <laughs> the odds of giving <sighs> that guy 16 minutes of the highest profile live television in, in, in the world seems very low, unfortunately. Imagine if they had done it like immediately after Jesus. I mean, ideally it would have been like after my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, but you know. The Super Bowl's just a little late on everything. <laughs> I think there's obviously a lot of openings for all sorts of genres. And, you know, a person that one could imagine doing this, it is not hard to imagine doing this, would be Taylor Swift. That seems like it probably will happen. If Madonna did it, if The Weeknd did it, I, I think that Taylor could. But, so if that happened, this is such a gimme for you. I'm <laughs> just lobbing this softball over the plate. What would you like Taylor Swift's? Super Bowl halftime show performance to be like? Only songs from Reputation. <laughs> Hard cosign. Yes. Absolute. It should, it should be for Taylor's version of Reputation. It should yes. be pegged to that. Honestly, it would be a very fun, like, Super Bowl performance. Like, ready for it? Like, what you made me do? That's a good, that's a good, like, high energy album moment. Oh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me oh. Yeah, and that tour when she did Delicate sort of flying through the the crowd on her little private space gondola. Yeah. That would that would be fine at a Super Bowl. Imagine Taylor doing all too well at the Super Bowl. Again, a, a crossover that no one <laughs> no one would expect. She's like, "Okay, here's the 20-minute version." Yes. It's all too well 10 minute and then the normal all too well five minute version. Yes. <laughs> and yes. then the show's over. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And and the players decide they can't come out and play the second half of the game because they're going through something right now. Everyone's crying so hard on the field. Yeah, the players just come out and, and just hug it out. Her Brooklyn broke our skin and bones. Yeah. We we can't, you know, we can't go on with this. In in her live shows, she does so many kind of like mashups already of so many of her songs, like kind of in, like including sort of the earlier Taylor, especially when she moved more to pop, like kind of combining those moments of like very early country Taylor with sort of the the pop moments later and kind of 
building those bridges between it. Like, I'm sure it'd be like a really good mix of like, we'd get like our song and, and love story, but we'd also get like, you know, blank space and style. And I mean, I, I would hope for the spelling as fun interlude to come back for me, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little August. That's, I mean, here in reality, I think that probably, yes, what it would end up being is is one of those things where it tells the story of her career, right? And then and, and climaxes in the unbelievable anthem from whatever album we haven't heard yet. The yeah. one she's making in, in Jack's apartment right now, probably. Absolutely, you know, yeah. that, She could come out with Damon Albarn to do Park Life. <laughs> These are bad ideas. These are great ideas. It'll be like the Nikki Taylor VMA performance. Like they've ended their feud at the Super Bowl. <laughs> We're getting I love that. Taylor Swift featuring Blur, and maybe just throw the, some Oasis in there. Why not? The, the Oasis reunites. Genius, genius. Yes, <laughs> Oasis reunites with Blur and Taylor Swift, and she sings "London Boy" with all of them. Yes. We had a, a no edibles rule before the show, but unfortunately, some some of our contributors uh, are not abiding by it, and that's okay. That that's okay. <laughs> it's a Taylor Swift dedication to. The rich history of Britpop. I love my hometown as much as Motown. I love SoCal. And you know I love Springsteen. And Absolutely, yes. <laughs> the the Taylor Swift salute to Britpop. <laughs> Just, darling, I fancy you. Yes. I was saying before the show, one of the things I noticed, right, is there's certainly been a very obvious trend towards a classic rock-like cannon-building in in rap and I've, I've i found it a really welcome development and long overdue between l cool days rock the bells channel between verses which brings people back week time after time to various legends catalogs and just reminding people of the enduring power of this music and it's not always about this second because rap is, is always moved forward faster than anything in it and sometimes the past gets not jettisoned but perhaps undervalued and i think that's been really great and i i i feel like this super bowl performance is part of that it really was just the same way that a classic rock band would be up there honoring their whole catalog and legacy that's what was happening here with you know although poor kendrick keeps getting lumped in with as a legacy act with all these he's like a young man who's is in the middle of the prime of his career but aside from that i mean yes it was it was people with major legacies and what fascinated me and kind of i found actually kind of appalling is that so many people who maybe aren't music heads for the most part but even so normal people seem to relate to music that isn't from this moment they seem to think it can only be nostalgia and that freaked me out and i was trying to wrap my head around that. And there was some push. I wasn't the only one kind of pushing back on that, but I just kept seeing that word nostalgia, nostalgia over and over again. And to me, that's not what it is. It's about music that comes to life in the now. And it's the same thing when you go to see an old band. Did you two notice that? And what did you make of it? What I saw mostly was people arguing over whether the halftime set was more geared towards Gen X or millennials. I saw more of the, the which, which generation is this for? But I think also that argument probably fed into a lot of... It does. And, and and to me, my answer is, it's for everyone and shut up. It was such a weird argument. I was just like, that's not the point of... Like, I was like, all of these artists... I don't know, like, Mary J technically is a Gen X artist. But when I was in eighth grade, when Be Without You came out, that was everything. Like, that was like... That song was like... You know, like, that song was like every... Like, we played that every single dance during eighth grade. Like, that was everywhere. And I, you could not have told me that Mary J was like an artist who, whose first album came out in the early night. Like, you know, like she had a career as long as I had been alive because Be Without You was like the hottest song 
when I was in like 2006. How do you see it, Rob? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's only older people who are talking about it as being nostalgic, because that's just a sort of obsolete way of looking at music and music history. I think nobody under 40 was saying that this was a nostalgic sort of performance. It was just a, a thing where you have to be slightly old and insecure about it to worry about, you know, music, you know, that is so prevalent and so classic. You know, if Willie Nelson performed at the halftime show, you know, people wouldn't be saying, well, this is for people born in the 1930s. You know, that's that's just not how music <laughs> has worked over the past 30 years. It just isn't. I would go so far as to say people who are just insecure about it, who are, you know, talking about it in terms of nostalgia. In terms of people saying that this was you know, people wanting to deny Gen X, like, credit for these artists, I find hilarious. Just more example of Gen X being sort of written out of history that people are so determined to deny the 90s anything. Also, I, that Brittany, I loved how you specified uh, 50 Cent has not been active musically, as if to imply that 50 Cent has been active in a lot of other ways, because he certainly hasn't been in practice dangling upside down. Uh, <laughs> Like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone look so, like, miserable on live TV. But I was happy to, to see him perform that. I would have loved a little bit of candy shop after, but I'm glad he at least had a, a few minutes. And you know we don't give Everybody involved in this excellent halftime show deserves huge credit for doing the hit. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Like, it's, it, you know, it's different if it's your show. I loved how everybody was doing the hit. Nobody was doing, you know, this is a song from an album I put out last year. Or or even, this is a 30-second snippet of a song I did, you know, last year. And then that'll be the intro to the hit. I love how everybody was really, like, taking care of business. They knew what their job was. They knew what the Super Bowl was. It's weird how often Super Bowl entertainment does not know what the Super Bowl is. They totally knew, you know, to do the hit. And everybody was doing one banger after another. And they all could have easily done a few, like, you know, there's so much from every single artist that was up there. You know, if, if it was just like, like Mary J could have just, like, literally just taken over. Like, it could have just been the Mary J Blige halftime show if she wanted it to be, you know, like, it could have just been that. But that's that's the other thing, too, is like, they all went with, like, the song that has transcended. If you go into any club in at least America, you're going to hear all of those songs at some point those songs are still so popular and so important culturally to everyone. There is no nostalgia for them because those songs are still so present. And I, I do wonder if those arguments are also coming from the fact that spaces for those artists in particular were not allowed or seen. They weren't seen as part of the popular culture, even though they were popular culture. You know, they weren't playing the Super Bowl in the early 2000s, those artists weren't on the invited to the stages that they are now. And I think that's maybe why too, where it's so late. <laughs> it's like so late to finally give them the space to do this because even just thinking about the history of, of Dr. Dre and NWA and Snoop and all these artists and just how they were seen as merely violent or inciting violence or that they were dangerous to culture. They were being banned. They weren't allowed in these spaces. So I wonder if that sort of feeds into it where it feels nostalgic because the moment in time when these songs existed was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but those songs are still very present and these artists deserve to be invited to those stages 20, 30 years ago, but they just weren't. Brittany, to follow up your point about what makes people particularly see these acts as nostalgia, I, I would 
echo that and say that there, to me, there is both a sort of racial and sort of raucous angle to why people see it like that, because the idea is classic rock got to transcend eras, right? No one ever thought it quickly became seen as not disposable, as, you know, this Boston song is for the ages. You will hear this Boston song <laughs> forever. Um, and, and then, of course, much better things that actually deserve to be canonized. I mean, I do listen to that one Boston song a lot more than a feeling. That song is for the ages. There's, Boston there's had Boston so many there. bangers. I cannot believe my ears. Boston had banger after banger. The first Boston album was the chronic of of AOR. There was no song on that album that, that is not a classic and a banger. If you can't think of the name, it's because every single song is perfect. May I substitute Kansas for, for Boston? Allow me to retract that. All right. Yes. Yeah. Let's, yes. let's go for another part of the country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I want an entire an, an entire halftime show Sticks. devoted to Kansas playing Left Overture. Okay, I'll, I'll go even worse. Sticks. This Sticks song has to be, you know, canonized like forever. Stick. Oh, my Everybody God. Everybody loves Jesus Sticks. Christ. Yes, we love Sticks. Lady, Mr. Roboto. Oh, yeah. no, Sticks, come on. This is the hill I'm willing to die on. Sticks suck. I, I don't care. I rarely will flat out say that. I hate Sticks. Sticks are bad. This is that a, just you know, means you have not been to the Paradise Theater. Yeah. You have so much to look forward to, Brian. You will enjoy but, this music so much when you finally listen to it and you realize that you have too much time on your hands. Sucks. I mean, it's worth keeping in mind that like that these rock bands did not make it to the Super Bowl until the 2000s. That, you yeah. know, the Super Bowl invites people to do the halftime show at least 30 years or 40 years into their career. So yeah. there's nothing there's nothing delayed about like Dre and Snoop doing it now. This is right on schedule for them. Yeah. Diana Ross was headlining the, the halftime show for the first time 33 years after the first Supremes hit and this is Dre 33 years after the Chronic. One, two, three into the folk. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip. That's an interesting way of, of looking at it. To finish the thought, I think it's good, as much as I was joking about Boston, I, I think it's really good that we have music that everyone understands sort of transcends its original era. But that category just needs to be broadened and we need to be thinking and i literally talked about this with snoop when he was on the show last year he he said don't put a time limit on us you didn't put the time limit on the rockers except the idea that some great new work might come from these guys and women because that there's that as well that just the assumption that nothing is gonna be worthwhile from a rapper over 50 and i reject that as well mary J just released a very very good album the friday before good morning gorgeous excellent album and, and some good stuff on Snoop's album. So, I mean, you know, there you go. Cut them niggas with the business. West Coast niggas rocking them Timberlands. Deep up in them trenches. It's no difference. Neither one play games when swinging for them fences. So it's just a matter of why assume that this stuff is disposable and that liking it was nostalgia. It's, it's just not... It, it's both that, but there are people who assume that when people go to a Billy Joe concert, that it's just nostalgia. And I reject that as well. Certainly there are concerts, like probably if you're going to like a Sugar Ray concert or whatever, I don't completely reject the idea that there is Sugar nostalgia. Ray. Yeah. I have no nostalgia for them. They're very present in my life still. Yeah, something has to, <laughs> something has to go away before you can be nostalgic for it. <laughs> yeah, it tell me to turn off a Sugar Ray record because that's not happening. But Brian, your attempt to troll me over <laughs> Sugar Ray is a smashing success. First sticks, now Sugar Ray. I... Yeah, exactly. You're going <laughs> alphabetically through my face. Is there nothing you guys will not defend? Uh, but there's, I, there, there is some musical nostalgia. I think that people going to the emo festival, when you have that many things of one particular era, 
I think probably there's some nostalgia coming in. But I do think that in general, what people go to older artists for is just to connect with that music that still means something to them. And, and to me, there's something just insulting to music about this nostalgia idea. You know what? As much as to contradict myself, even when we were young, the emo festival. So even that, when people assume that the only reason that people would go to that is quote unquote nostalgia isn't actually right. They're going because they still love the music. It, it, there are pros and cons to it, right? Where it's like the biggest con is that a lot these artists, they're not, they're still actively working, you know, like all those, all the artists on the When We Were Young, whatever lineup are all active touring artists. They all actively still release music. Paramore is like releasing a new album. My Chemical Romance is releasing new music. Like all of these artists are actively like working on stuff and they're in studios and they are still touring and they're promoting new stuff. It's the same thing. You know, it's like, it's, that's the, but it's also, it's, I think it's fair for people to be like, this brings me back to a very specific time and place. Like this particular combination of people reminds me of this era in my life because most of those artists and the ones that were the most buzzed about on that lineup really existed in a very specific scene at a very specific time. So there is a fairness to that. But yeah, it's also like a lot of those artists are, everyone's still sort of like working and and doing like, this is not nostalgia for them. (laughs) You know, this is like their job (laughs) they're still doing. But yes, it does evoke a certain level of, of of sense memory for when you put that combination together. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen does you know and then there is the whole ricky nelson garden party thing the idea of, of people wanting to be seen in the present tense and it does rob it, it made me think this whole nostalgia thing made me think you know one small reason that the way bob dylan does what he does is so that not one person at earth could go to this live show and, and, and think well this guy really wants me to feel nostalgia for 1966 he's not there's not one note that's recognizable as the same thing he was doing in in 1966 and he certainly wiped that possibility off the map that's part of his legend and part of his stature. He makes he makes it absolutely nostalgia proof. The show gets better when he dumps songs that he can't sing anymore. It's a beautiful thing, you know. Like nobody nobody is at a Dylan show thinking, oh, 1964, you know. 
it's, it's and if they, if they are, they're going to be horrible. There's always one person who hadn't gotten the memo, and they're, they're always horrible. They're, they're just like, he won't even grant you the image of him playing an acoustic guitar. <laughs> he won't even let you see that. It would make you too happy on that level. Like, so that, that's, the, that's the thing. He, he, he won't he will barely touch a guitar of any kind the whole show. It's like <laughs> I do love the idea of like, like the way you're painting Bob Dylan as sadist. <laughs> I'm going to make my fans absolutely miserable. <laughs> I mean, there is that for sure, but it's also just the imaginary cartoon of a, a fan who literally expects him to be up there with an acoustic guitar and a harmonica singing Blowing the Wind and just getting nothing even remotely like that. And, and very much but, to his credit, like Dylan has never pursued that fan or that audience. And, you know, even even in the 70s, he was doing tours that people were complaining, you know, oh, this doesn't sound like, you know, yeah. the the folk singer, I guess, like, since he went electric. I will say about the actual performance, I, I kind of wish, I totally understand why they chose Lose Yourself for Eminem. I do think they could have chosen something else. Perfect for the setting, but he did just do it on the Oscars for no reason whatsoever. It was for a reason, but it was very random at that, and that was the whole song, very high-profile performance, and that just happened. So for that reason, I might have preferred to see Quick Hit Medley or, or anything else, just because it's it's far from his only song, you know? I wonder if it was like a tonal thing, too. Once you, once you kind of also mine through a lot of his early hits, it's just there's a lot of stuff you gotta be just, it's a minefield of, <laughs> of things that you have to edit out and avoid. Also, when people remember his performance years from now, they're not going to care what song he'd just been doing. It's kind of like, you know, nobody cares what song Justin and Janet were singing at the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. And it's the same thing, like his, his kneeling and without it, the show would have been, I think it's fair to say, a complete failure. It would have been it would have seemed like a, a sellout. It would have seemed right. like a timid failure of nerve. The reason that rappers haven't been performing at the Super Bowl halftime isn't because the NFL hasn't begged them to come. It's because rappers have taken a principled stand uh, against, you know, collaborating with the NFL in a really racist ban on a very high profile political player. And no pretense that it's anything else than just a racist ban on this player. And, you know, Jay-Z was someone who was saying, you know, like, no, he wasn't going to do the Super Bowl a few years ago. Cardi B, Rihanna, it's it's been years. You know, Maroon 5 somehow got Travis Scott and Big Boy to show up. But that was, you know, widely mocked and rightly so as an example of how just nobody wanted to touch the Super Bowl halftime. It had become something like hosting the Oscars, where it was just such a so coated in loser dust that nobody wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and even just like think like like you lose yourself at the Oscars was like a weird thing where it was just like the Oscars trying to prove a point <laughs> of like moments where they've been like like semi relevant to what was happening in the culture, and also it was a big deal for Eminem and his career. I think like it was a like the Super Bowl was a more fitting place that like he probably he shouldn't have done it at the Oscars versus it made more sense for him to do a song like Lose Yourself at at the Super Bowl where it was like a big moment in his career and sort of like crossing over like he won the Oscar for it this was a more appropriate place for him to do it and especially for it to lead in again to him kneeling in that moment and like paying that tribute and doing that that song is the only song there is not a single song in his catalog that I can think of that would make sense (laughs) to to do like right before like was he gonna do Mockingbird like I don't know fat like none of that makes he's not gonna do any of that but you know without 
someone taking a knee this Super Bowl would have looked like a really sad spectacle. It would have looked like a failure, really on every level. That would have looked like, you know, a sellout. It would have looked really sad. And also Eminem, he didn't just do a quick knee. He committed to the bit. He made the moment elegiac and, you know, and he made it unmissable by the camera. It wasn't something that they could cut away from, although they probably wanted to. And it was just a really touching moment. And without it, it wouldn't have been the same kind of performance. Rob, you were talking about Eminem's gesture of kneeling. And, and it is true, you know, even our colleague Jeffy Haza said this whole performance was just sort of a like a, a Band-Aid over a totally racist organization being the NFL. And I think that obviously a very valid argument. There's a, a huge context there and, and it's hard to paper over it, but it does make a statement in its own right. You know, all these great black artists they're at the very center of our culture for so many years. I do see value in it. I, I guess it's up to people what, to decide whether it's the right context or not, given the, the NFL's problems. I mean, obviously the problems go even before Kaepernick and like, you know, again, the, we've big discussions about Janet Jackson over the last couple of years and sort of at an accident happening at the show and how the response to the idea of what the show is meant to be changed her career and then also changed what even the, the halftime show was for the longest time. There was so much fear and censorship around what the show could be and who could do the Super Bowl halftime performance. It became sort of it where in the early 2000s, like I feel like so much, so many of those performances were so fun. And there was this idea that it was like a bunch of different artists kind of coming together. And then it was like, what do we do now? <laughs> to like keep it safe and like kind of like. I know you're thinking of Britney and her little cutoff football uniform I mean, was exactly Aerosmith. what you were thinking of. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> what am I not thinking about it? I could literally read your mind. That's what you were thinking of. <laughs> it's literally, I was thinking of Britney Spears and Aerosmith all the yeah. time. Yes. <laughs> when, when am I not thinking about that combination? Yeah. I mean, you know, just like those those moments, I think it just became, I think the Super Bowl and obviously the NFL is such an emblem of very conservative notions about culture and how we function through culture and it is you know even though the players and the artists that have put on the some of the best halftime shows are not white but there is an idea that the audience is meant to be a wholesome idea of white america and what appeals to it so there are deeper issues and i think has put it in like a weird place over over the last like decade especially yeah and it, it sucks for people who love people like Tom Petty and Springsteen and The Who, that they then get used. As well, yeah, they're weaponized as like, this is safe. Like yeah, they're not that gonna sucks. Do, but, but then you have sucks. Bruce kind of go growing first into a camera and then an unforgettable moment. <laughs> or you have Prince come out with like the guitar. Just and, like, and also essentially go growing first into the camera. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there are those subversive moments, but of course the reaction to those are much different than a black woman sort of ha having a pretty traumatic event happen to her in front of an audience of millions globally. So it's rarely remarked upon, but the fact that the who somehow didn't understand the assignment and barely rehearsed for a Super Bowl performance and thus gave like a really sort of off performance for one of the greatest bands of all time that and and thus marred their image among an entire generation forever and possibly killed off classic rock at the Super Bowl. Unfortunate. I, I still think that maybe Pete and Roger are only still only vaguely aware of this. It was just another gig to them. That it's really... <laughs> they have no idea. It's so sad. <laughs> that that clip is comedy gold. I watch it a couple times a year. It never fails to entertain me. My favorite part is when the roadie hits the crowd sing-along tape, and suddenly this 
massive crowd that isn't anywhere like singing is is singing uh, Baba O'Reilly and it's like wow clearly had no idea what a Super Bowl was and just completely didn't get what their job was. <laughs> Someone like Bruce Springsteen or, you know, or Dr. Dre or Tom Petty. Those are people who know what a Super Bowl is. You know, like I, I always loved the one in, in when it was Shania Twain and Gwen Stefani. And it was funny because you could see one of these people really knew what the Super Bowl was and the other had no idea. It's a very specific kind of gig. And Gwen Stefani absolutely slayed. You know, I still think they should bring her back to do an entire one. And part of it was like she really knew what the Super Bowl was and she knew what the halftime show was. And Shania Twain was just, you know, lip syncing a bunch of hits. Well, not going to say lip syncing factually, spiritually lip syncing. (laughs) I I can make no factual claim about the matter, but uh, (laughs) it was certainly like, you know, someone who did not know what a Super Bowl was. Yeah. And the last several years have been very fun. I thought The Weeknd did a great job with the Super Bowl, with his Super Bowl performance. I loved Katy Perry's. I was not expecting to love Katy Perry's as much as I loved Katy. She just, she just really, she went for it. Gaga. Gaga was great. Gaga. I, Gaga, I mean, of course, Gaga was. Of course, I'm going to stand Gaga's half halftime performance. I went to go watch that live. I've never watched a Super Bowl halftime live. <laughs> that that I watched live. I sat through the game. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both quintessential examples of like people who know and understand what the Super Bowl is, what works, what doesn't do. You know, they were doing hits, and they were doing. You know, they were they were putting on a show. I mean, Katy Perry's was. You know, talk about somebody overperforming. It was. Someone who like really stepped into an unlikely gig, and also the total shock when she brought Missy out, which oh, so nobody good. saw coming. Missy had been so reclusive in recent years; absolutely nobody saw coming. And the way that Katie milked that brilliant moment, and the way she brought Missy into that situation in the first place—a total shock to everybody. That was that was absolutely beautiful. And Coldplay knew to bring out Bruno Mars and Beyonce. I'm sure Coldplay w- would have much rather not shown up and let Beyonce do it. <laughs> Chris that's, Martin wanted to watch a Beyonce con- Chris Martin wanted but, to watch Beyonce and Bruno Mars dance do a dance off. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 another Super Bowl halftime clip. You know, I watch these. I you know, this yeah. is a long running obsession of mine. Is is this cultural institution that has changed so much? And it's it's really funny that you could tell that Bruno Mars and Coldplay are like, we really don't want to be here. Like, people only care about what Beyonce is going to do. And Beyonce is like only doing formation for like a minute of yeah. you know. Of screen and time. part of Uptown Funk, which was I, that the like little like the dance off between Bruno and Beyonce is like my favorite part of that. <laughs> it, it, it's it, you like that better than Formation? I mean, yeah, but I, I like it like Formation, of course. But it's so cute. I give Coldplay and Bruno Mars full marks for showing up. <laughs> I I would have been like, oh, I you know, I I have the flu today. I I can't come and like hold 15 minutes of stage time and then one minute with Beyonce singing Formation for the first time. Cocky fresh. Yeah. (laughs) Bruno Mars with the Chili Peppers. That was a great one. I mean, you know, I loved it. And and, they they both knew what, you know, what the job was. The Chili Peppers weren't doing deep cuts from disc two of Stadium Arcadium. They they were like, no, we're just going to go out there and just give it away, give it away, give it away. Bruno Mars, talk about a showbiz guy. For a while, it seemed like maybe Bruno Mars was just going to pretty much show up at every Super Bowl, but I guess I guess not. Yeah. The it is as we wrap up. It is remarkable that it 
in the minds of someone, it took Eminem, Kendrick, Snoop, Dre, Mary J, at all to to match one weekend. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't seem quite right, but I understand. <laughs> like, like it's it. Well, but the weekend said yes. They had trouble getting people. Yes. You know? Yeah. Nobody right. Nobody wanted right. to do it. Great point. And it it can't be said it was a massive win for the weekend. Um, yeah. Yeah. Quite apart from the fact that you know he turned down the Grammys to do this, which was not a winning decision. It, it, it's fair to say whether you like the weekend or not. I love the weekend, but he didn't make any new fans at the Super yeah. Bowl. It uh, was just a weekend show. If you already liked The Weeknd, you were going to like this Super Bowl halftime show. The Katy Perry one was so good because people people who just like maybe weren't totally on board with like the history of like Katy Perry's hits were like, oh, it's much more than sort of like the kind of easy silliness of some of her songs. Like she can put on like a very excellent and full on performance in that way. Yes. The, the, the greatness of Katy Perry was she went in assuming that nobody would know any of her songs which is absolutely the right way to do this. You know, she went in assuming nobody knew or cared anything about her musical career. She was just going to come in cold. And and that's, you know, that's the way to do it. Gwen Stefani did that too. And, you know, The weekend, you know, again, like, you know, maybe it's being Canadian, but that was for hardcore fans of The weekend. I think the show of force that was this year's performance with that many huge artists doing that many hits is actually going to make it difficult going forward for there to be any one artist. You know, there's a few, like we said, and I think that's why we were struggling at the beginning, Taylor, Drake, a few others. That, But for the most part, we may be seeing sort of these themed things, you know, the equivalent of like a West Coast Dre thing with different groups of people, because it, it's just hard to to match the, and that's why I can't, I, I can't really understand anyone saying that was anything other than a great show. I mean, look at just, just by sheer, just like I said, just by the sheer force of that many people doing that, that many hits, how is it not going to be great? And I, I think that's, that's the other thing to like, to Rob's point about like, hey, Perry going in that way versus like the weekend. Like, I think there is sort of the artists who don't assume that their core fandom is going to be drawn to the Super Bowl is when they've put on the best shows. Like, Lady Gaga fans <laughs> and football fans don't often cross over. And yet she went into it. She did a lot of her early album stuff. Like she wasn't like, I'm just doing Joanne at this and they're going to get into it. Like it was like very, she gave you the Gaga that we met in like 2008, 2009. Like she was like, this is like weirdo alien Gaga. That's like, you know, very classic party hits that she was putting on. And like, I, even, you know, even Beyonce at her, even Beyonce and then like when Justin Timberlake returned, like, you know, like they were like doing stuff that was like from, you know, the 90s. <laughs> you know, like they were like you're kind of doing the nostalgia of it. Um, like, like Beyonce brought back Destiny's Child for the Super Bowl. Like no one was expecting that that would be the thing that she would do for her Super Bowl performance. And like she went in with the assumption of like, OK, well, if you are not listening to my music, if you are not the crossover of Beyonce fan and football watcher, you will at least know, say my name. <laughs> you will know, lose my breath. Those are songs that you will absolutely have an understanding of, even if you have not listened to my last album or two. And that was, of course, also it was before she released her self-titled. Like, that's also insane to even remember that that was like the same year, but total opposite ends of the year. Like, you know, she she was in a different place that the self-titled would bring her even, obviously, like a bigger fandom, but I think that was also because of the Super Bowl, because of what she did at that performance, completely changed her career. And that was, and that was such a classic performance. And also, 
you know, nobody knew that she was making an album at that time. So yeah. it's funny to think like, yeah, she just, you know, she was working on a song at the hotel. You know, she was working on Partition. She was like, oh, got to play the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. <laughs> goes, plays it, comes back. Filming like like 12 videos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. It was like, it was kind of like the last power move of the, you know, of of the old Beyonce when she merely seemed like the biggest star in the world. Yeah. And and somehow made her even bigger. Like when you even think about it, that performance was a big part of what made the release of the self-titled album even more massive. Like it just brought her so much more recognition for how great of a performer she is. And like, I think a lot of audiences don't see that for so many artists if they aren't listening to them regularly. And I think that's the power of what this performance can do. I would like to thank Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield for joining me once again. And Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. And in the meantime, we are, of course, a podcast. Download Rolling Stone Music Now as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Do consider leaving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We're always grateful for that. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.